Well, if you have your Bible, open to Mark chapter 2. That's where we are. We're on message number 3 of our series titled, Leave Your Mark. And to piggyback a little bit onto what Doug said, I too am going to, to ask you to do something. Now then, I am definitely not a fan of self-promotion. I do not like it at all, but sometimes it is necessary. And so if you were not here last Sunday, I'm going to ask, just like Doug did, that you listen to the message whether it be on a CD or whether it be on the podcast. Now then, some of you, you're, you might be thinking right now, I'm not doing that. Please do it. Please do it. And it's not because I'm just this incredible preacher. It's because of the message of the Scripture that is contained in there, that it calls us to be disciples. Because one of the things that I said last week was this. The first job of a disciple is to go and make disciples. And then I stepped on all of our toes by saying, we have forgotten how to do that. Or at least we have forgotten to do that. Okay? And so, if you don't want to listen to the whole message, fast forward all the way to the last 12 minutes. If you're doing that on the podcast, it's real easy to do. Listen to the last 12 minutes, if nothing else. But I hope that in that message, you will hear the thrust of this entire series of leaving your mark because that is what we as disciples of Jesus, as Christians, as followers of Christ, that is what He calls us to do. The way we do that is by showing the love and the compassion and the grace and the mercy of Jesus to those that we, we come in contact with. Okay, so that's my, my plug for last week's sermon. I won't probably ever ask you to listen to another sermon again after it's been preached. But if you would go and make sure you've listened to it, if you have not already, I, I, think, I think the message of that sermon will hopefully be a, a blessing to you and, and be a motivation to you as it has motivated me. It was something that I felt that God has been laying on my heart for quite some time and not just for me, but in a way a, as in casting a vision for us here. And so I hope that you'll go and do that. So today, we're in Mark chapter 2. And just like in Mark chapter 1, some really, really interesting things happen. As we have seen over the last two weeks, Jesus has begun His ministry. And He's gone and he's been baptized by John. He's gone out to the wilderness. He's been tempted by Satan. He's overcome the, the temptations. And now he's come to Capernaum, which is his base of operations. And he begins to minister to people. And we see him doing that again this morning. Now then, I don't know about you. Probably not. But for me, there are times when I need a whole lot of compassion, right? You guys probably don't need that. I know you're much better at this than I am, okay? But there are, yeah, there are times when I need some serious grace from others 
Because believe this or not, there are times when I absolutely blow it. Okay? There are times when I don't get it right and what I need more than anything is compassion. Have you ever felt like that? Yeah. I think we all have. None of us, whether we want to admit it or not, Enneagram ones, none of us are perfect, even though we think so. Okay? We're not perfect, and that goes for the other eight as well. We blow it all the time with our words, with our actions, with our lack of words and our lack of actions. We blow it constantly. And we're in need of compassion and we're in need of forgiveness. Wouldn't it be a horrible thing to go through life and not have those? To not have compassion from others and compassion from Jesus and to not have forgiveness from others and forgiveness from Jesus. I don't know that life would be bearable in such a state. But fortunately, we do have them. And Jesus offers both of those and we see that come to life in this story in Mark chapter 2. So read with me. And then I'll stop along the way and make some comments. When he entered Capernaum again, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. Now remember, Jesus had been in Capernaum. He'd had that night at Peter's house where Peter's mother-in-law was sick. Remember that? And he went in and he healed Peter's mother-in-law. And then the word spread that Jesus was there and he's doing miracles and he's healing and he's casting out demons and he's doing all of this other stuff. And so many people came that I just imagine all through the night he's healing and he's casting out demons and he's restoring life back to people. And it got to be so much that eventually Jesus, he had to, he had to as, the, as the kids say, had to take a beat. Okay, he had to hit the pause button. He had to get away and get alone with God so that he could recharge and restore. And then he comes back home and he is preaching again. He goes in the synagogue. He's teaching. There's this man. uh, There's this man that's got leprosy who's been an outcast. And Jesus heals him right there on the spot. You remember that? And then Jesus says, hey, look, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody what's going on. And, you know, the reason I said that, or the reason uh, that Jesus says that, is that he did not primarily want to be known as a healer. Because he came also to bring other good news of the kingdom of God. Of course, the guy disobeys Jesus, goes and tells everybody. And it got so crazy that Jesus had to withdraw and take time away. Now in chapter 2, he's come back to Capernaum come back home, and as soon as he hits town, word spreads that Jesus is there. Now then watch verse 2. So many people gathered that there was no room, not even in the doorway, and he was speaking the word to them. He comes back and he's rested and he sees all of these people. There is no room in his house. And Jesus says, I've got a message for you. And he begins to lay out the good news of them. Now then notice verse 3. 
And I want you to notice the words in yellow here. They came to him bringing a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him and after digging through it, they lowered the mat on which the paralytic was lying. That's an absolutely crazy story, right? Right? Because it's not anything that we can relate to, okay? When is the last time you were sitting in your house and somebody tore a hole in the roof and lowered somebody down in front of you? Has that happened to anybody recently? Because it had never happened to me. Now then, that doesn't mean things haven't fallen out of the roof before. Animals and whatnot that weren't supposed to be there. But nobody has perfect, uh, 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 purposely torn back my roof and then lowered somebody down in front of me. Jesus is there. It's absolutely crowded. Here come these guys. They got this guy on the mat. They can't get in. They go up. They tear open the roof. They lower him down. Now then, again, let me address the Enneagram ones here because I know you're going to trip up on this point. Okay? And you're going to miss what's coming. This is an easy fix for these kinds of houses. As a matter of fact, once a year, they had to kind of re-roll the roof. Okay? So just, it's okay. All right? Don't get hung up on the roof just yet. Now, I'm going to talk about the hole in just a second and that there's some importance to the hole. But don't miss the rest of the story thinking about, man, what are they going to do about that roof? (laughs) It's great that this guy is going to get healed, but there is still a hole in the roof. Does Jesus do miracles and fix holes? I don't know. But don't hang up there. But we learn a lot from those, those those first few verses. And what we see is that there are three barriers between these four, really five guys, the four guys who are carrying the the stretcher and then the guy laying on it. There's four or three barriers between them and their goal, and that's getting this guy to Jesus, okay? So here they are. Here's the barriers that they have to overcome. The first is physical, okay? This man is paralyzed, Now then, we don't know how far they had to come from, but you still had to carry a human being. Okay, now then, that's something we can kind of relate to. We've probably carried somebody at some point in our lives, but it is not an altogether easy thing, right? Especially if you're carrying a full-grown adult, which we assume that's what this guy is. Now... We can do that now. Somebody can volunteer and we can get four people, one on each corner on the sheet, and we can carry you around this room. Anybody want to do that to make this an object lesson? John was, John volunteers to be the paralytic. Okay, John, John will be the paralyzed guy. So we're going to find four others to carry him around the room. Okay, the first obstacle, the first barrier that's got to be overcome is the physical one. It's the obvious one. It's not easy to carry somebody, yet these four guys, these are really great friends. Okay, they say, it doesn't matter. We will get you to Jesus. We've heard he's back. We've heard what he did. They probably even saw some of what he did. Maybe they were recipients of some of the things he did. We don't know. 
We can speculate that. Either way, they know something about Jesus. And so they determine, we are going to get you to Jesus. The next barrier is anthropological. And that may not be the most correct usage of that word. Because we're not really talking about the study of man. But I just want to point out that it's man. They get to the house and there's so many people there that they cannot get to Jesus. Because what has Mark said? That they're crowded out. There's not even room to get in the door. That many people are trying to get to Jesus. Okay, So that's barrier number two. And then there's the third barrier and that's structural. It's the roof of the house. Okay, Now while that's a, a relatively easy thing to get through you still have to tear a roof open, okay? And it's not their house, okay? Some people say it's Peter's house. Others say that it's a house that Jesus rented. doesn't really matter. It's not their house. Yet, they tore the roof open and lowered the guy down there. I want to also say they've got really good balance to lower him and not roll him off that stretcher as he's, as he's being lowered, okay? So there's three barriers Three barriers that they had to overcome to get this guy to Jesus. Now then, a question that comes to mind as I look at these three barriers and I read this story, the question that comes to mind is, how many of these barriers would stop us? Because it would be really easy to rationalize this, right? To get there with a guy and be like, you know, there's a lot of people here. He's still going to be paralyzed tomorrow. We'll come back at a more convenient time. You know? There would have been a... I mean, and we do that, do we not? We rationalize, oh, you know, Jesus is busy. I don't want to bother Him. I don't want to put Him out or make Him, you know, have to do something He wasn't planning on doing. We can rationalize anything, can we not? These guys didn't do that. Okay? They did not do that. They tore open the roof after carrying this guy all the way there and saying, okay, we got a problem. There's too many people. We're not turning back. We're getting this guy to Jesus. They go up on the roof, which would have been easy to access because there probably would have been an outside staircase. Get him up there, rip open the roof, lower him down, okay? They lower him down. Now then there's a very important, I said I was going to say something about the roof, Okay? And again, we're, keep in mind what we're talking about. We're talking about leaving our mark as disciples, as followers of Christ on those that don't know Jesus. Okay? If you haven't figured it out yet, this is a discipleship series. Okay? Just in case you've missed that, that's what that is. That's what this is. Now then, there is a really, really good point about the hole in the roof. Okay, so then, again, if you are an Enneagram 1 and hung up on that hole, here's what you need to hang up on right here. And this goes for all the rest of us, too. To reach people today, it is going to take some hole-in-the-roof ideas. Yes? Okay? No longer do we live in a society that says, Hey, look, we're meeting at church. Come and join us. We got the good news. Come get it. Okay, we don't live that way anymore. Okay, to reach 
people today, it is going to take some outside of the box, some creative, some hole in the roof ideas. These guys got creative about getting their friend to Jesus. Did they not? Okay, now then, can we learn a lesson from these four guys? Now, I'm not telling you to go be destructive on somebody's roof. Okay? But metaphorically, what roofs do we need to tear holes in to get people to Jesus? What are the barriers that are keeping us or keeping you? Do you have your own personal barrier that is keeping you from getting someone to Jesus? Okay? And so this is what we have to do. We have to be willing to be creative. Okay? We have to be willing to try new things. Right? Because we can look and we can see some of the old ways and we can say, guess what? What worked once is not really working now. So let's get back together. Let's put our heads together. And how can we think this through again? Okay? How can we adjust our frame, adjust our focus, our approach in order to bring people into a relationship with Jesus? Okay? Um, seven years ago, right about this time, seven years ago. This is before John was a shepherd, before Jeffrey was a shepherd. It was just Tommy and George, and we were sitting right back here in a meeting, and I don't remember what we were talking about. I don't know if we were talking about this text or not, but George looks at us and he says, We are not looking to say no to any idea that will bring people into a relationship with Jesus. No church that I have worked for in the more than 25 years that I've been in ministry, no shepherd has ever said anything to me like that before. That that is a shepherd that is saying, I'm willing to leave Spirit marks and Jesus marks. Whatever it takes to bring someone into a relationship with Jesus. Let's not, and and I remember George saying, don't be afraid to fail. Okay? And we tried some things, and guess what? Some of them failed. Some of them were huge crash and burns. But some of them have been real fruitful, like Providence Plaza. But guess what? We started that six years ago, and we've not really done much else since then. Okay? Was that our last hole-in-the-roof idea? So I want you to start thinking that way. That's a challenge that I'm going to lay before you this morning. Start thinking about hole-in-the-roof ideas that will bring someone in contact with with Jesus and don't be afraid to fail don't be afraid to fail because if you're failing in the name of Jesus are you really failing no you come back to the drawing board we rethink it we reconfigure and then we go back out to reach people today it is absolutely going to take some hole in the roof outside the box creative thinking and we have creative thinkers among us in this room okay we also have people that are doers the ones that can help bring these ideas to life and help get the wheels in motion we need everybody working together 
to reach people for Jesus. Okay, and you're thinking, okay, well, I'm not one of those. Or maybe you're thinking, I'm not going to do that. Why? If you care about the mission of our church, why wouldn't we? It's so easy to sit. <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble for saying this, but I'm going to risk it all. It is so easy. We're talking about leaving marks. And I said this Wednesday night. It's so easy. It's the easiest thing to do to leave butt marks on these chairs. Is that really all we want to leave? Right now, I'm, and I know how this goes because this happens to me. You're thinking, I, I don't have time for that. I'm not going to do, I can't commit to anything else. Well, then it might be time to sit down with your schedule and create some margin so that you can serve. You know, and there's, there's a whole other sermon about giving from what's left over or giving out of your abundance, out of your overflow. Okay? Creative, out-of-the-box thinking may require some of that. Some creativity, some rearranging, some cutting so that we can be focused more on, on, on discipleship. Focus on, on, on meeting needs. Okay? That's one of the ways we're going to leave our mark on the people that we come in contact with. So they get through the barriers. This guy is lowered down at the, uh, I guess, the feet of Jesus. I always wonder what's happening while this is happening. You know, does Jesus just keep on talking like nothing's going on? You know, is he looking up? Is the, is the, the, the pitch or whatever is coming down? Is it raining on his hair? Is it all in his beard and his hair and all that stuff? I don't know. But they lower this guy down there. Now then, watch Jesus' reaction. Seeing what? Say it the yellow. Seeing their faith. Jesus told the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Doesn't say anything about his faith. Did you notice that? He may have faith, he may not. We don't know. Mark doesn't comment on it. But what Mark does comment on is that Jesus sees the faith of these four guys. Seeing their faith. Jesus looks at this guy. And he says, son, you are forgiven. Now, that's probably not the first thing that was on their mind. Okay? The primary goal, their, 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 their surface level, entry level issue is what? Getting their friend who cannot walk to Jesus so that Jesus can heal him. Okay? I mean, Jesus is God. He should know this, right? Jesus does not immediately heal the guy. He offers forgiveness. You see, in a lot of times, a lot of times we think physical healing is the most important thing in the world. Have you noticed that? It's all through the way that we pray. We pray as if physical healing is one of the most important things ever. We pray in a way like we are absolutely scared to death of death. Jesus, Jesus knows this guy needs to be healed. I mean, good grief, he was just lowered from the ceiling. Okay? 
He knows he's got to be healed. But what Jesus also knows is that more than a physical healing, what he needs is a spiritual healing. And so he forgives him. And see, this is what we know about ourselves too. Jesus knows us better than we know our own selves. And the first thing that we need is spiritual healing. Okay? The first thing we need is forgiveness. Okay? Because here's the deal. Good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. Everybody needs forgiveness. This guy needed forgiveness. Now then watch, watch what happens. Some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now then this is a serious charge. Now then they've not come out and publicly said it yet. They're just sort of thinking it. Jesus is still kind of new on the scene. Okay, but they're thinking, wait a minute, only God can forgive sins. For someone to proclaim and pronounce forgiveness of sins, that's a huge offense. That's blasphemy. And blasphemy was a capital offense. Meaning they could take you and drag you out into the street and throw rocks at you until you were dead in the name of God. Okay? Jesus knows what they're thinking. He knows what's on their, going on in their hearts. And He says to them, in verse 8, Why are you thinking these things in your heart? And then He gives them a pop quiz. And as a Pharisee, you've got to hate it when Jesus gives you a pop quiz. Okay? And He does it to them all the time. And so He looks at them and He says, Hey, look, which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. And I wonder if they sat back and went, huh, you know, I hadn't thought about that. Chances are they probably didn't think that way because they're so focused on their religion. They're so focused, and and by religion, I mean the rules, the getting it right, that they're, they're unable to see this. And Jesus says in verse 10, But so you know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. And what we see is that the reality of the healing demonstrates the reality of of the forgiveness. The reality, the fact, I mean, they're saying, who can forgive sins except God alone? And then uh, that's where Jesus puts the question back on them. Which one of these things is easier to say? Is it easier to say, I forgive you? Or is it easier to say, get up, take your mat and go home. Walk out of here. Just so you know that I have the authority, that I am God, get up, you're healed, take your mat and walk out of here. The reality of the healing demonstrates the reality of the forgiveness and also the authority of Jesus to heal and to forgive. Okay, so it's kind of a, a, a two, three-fold healing 
that Jesus offers. And then there's our word in verse 12. Immediately. Immediately he got up, he took his mat, he went out in front of everyone. As a result, they were all astounded and gave glory to God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Isn't that an awesome story? It's an incredibly powerful story. So how do we leave our mark? been kind of doing this format through this series, and I don't know that I'll do it in every message, but at least for the time being, it's, I think it helps us. It helps us to answer two questions. First is, what do we need to know? And the second question is, what do we need to do? Jesus left His mark in Capernaum, did He not? Okay. So as we read this story, what is it that we need to know? It's this, that Jesus left His mark through forgiveness and compassion. Right? He forgives the guy, and probably the guys that tore open the hole in his roof. He forgives the guy, and He also extends compassion by healing him. Right? So that's what we need to know. The second question is, what do we need to do? And it's pretty straightforward. We leave our mark by offering forgiveness and by being compassionate. In other words, be like Jesus. Do you see it? And it's, it's well, at least it sounds simple. Right? If we are going to be like Jesus... That's how we be like Jesus. We forgive people. We show compassion to people. To, 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 to dial it in a little bit more. And again, this is, it's really straightforward, but that doesn't mean it's easy. The marks, are disciple, uh, marks of a disciple is having compassion and mercy on those who need it. Now then, how many people have you come across that are in need of compassion and mercy and you did not feel compelled to extend it? Anybody guilty of that besides me? Okay, just because it sounds simple doesn't mean it is simple, right? But guess what? Following Jesus demands that. Okay, following Jesus isn't just, hey, I'm getting in the car and riding with Jesus and it's all going to be great. Following Jesus, like we said last week, is taking up a cross and following after Him, doing the things that, that Jesus does. And one of those marks is having compassion and mercy on those who need it and may not deserve it. The second mark is this, forgiving those who have wronged us even if they don't ask for it. And that one's tough. Because every one of us has somebody in our life, at least one person who has done something to us that has hurt us so badly that it's a struggle to forgive them. But a true mark of a disciple is a forgiving heart. And Jesus, you know, he said some stuff about forgiveness. Threw out all kind of crazy numbers. The point was, as many times as it takes, you forgive somebody, whether they ask for it or not. And we think, well, they haven't earned it. They hurt me. You know what? Forgiveness so much of the time is as much for us as it is for them. Because you know what it is like to harbor unforgiveness in your heart. It is a burden that you carry around 
And every time you see that person or every time somebody mentions their name or every time you hear about what they did, guess what? It just adds more to that burden that's on your back. And half the time, they might, even not, they might not even know they did anything. Forgiveness is as much for us as it is for them. Forgiving is giving the burden over to, to Jesus and, and letting Him do with it. Okay, these, and, and there's more, but in the context of this story, these are the marks of a, of a disciple. It's having mercy and compassion on those who need it, may not deserve it, and it's offering forgiveness to those who may not ask for it. Even though they have, even though they have wronged us, David Garland he he says this, talking about this text. He says, if Jesus is the model for our ministry to others. Now, then, when you read that, think church context, but also think about your own individual lives. If he's the model for our ministry to others, we see one who announces the forgiveness of sin and the chance of reconciliation with God which brings in its wake healing. The church needs to proclaim in its words and deeds this offer of forgiveness which can cleanse all sin. In other words, we need to be bearers of good news. A lot of times churches are not bearers of good news. We're the bearers of doom and gloom because we got the market cornered on judgment. And guess what? We're doing somebody else's job. Don't you hate when somebody else does your job for you? Guess what? That's God's job, not our job. You know why? Because we stink at it. You know why we stink at it? Because I am more than willing to judge you, but I am definitely not willing to judge me the way I judge you. Am I right? We stink at it. We're terrible at it. That's why God says, why don't you you give me that? I'm going to set this over here. That's my job. You be compassionate and show mercy. And you just love people. Let me handle all this stuff. I don't, don't worry about what they're doing. You just give them what they need. Love, compassion, forgiveness. I'll sort all that other stuff out. Thank you, Lord. Okay, so he says, this is what David said. He says, the church needs to proclaim in its words and deeds forgiveness, which can cleanse all sin. There are many whose souls are strangled by a a snarled undergrowth of oppressive guilt. The word of Jesus can tear away the tangles and release fresh Forces of renewal and energy in people's lives. What if those words were written about our church? That would be pretty awesome. Right? If people thought of our church and they thought of us in sort of that kind of term right there, that would mean that we are disciples who are out making disciples, sharing the love and the grace and the compassion and the mercy and the forgiveness of Jesus with people that we come in contact with. That will 
grow the kingdom. That will advance the kingdom. Okay? That's a great goal for us, is it not? But guess what? Rump marks in the seat ain't going to do it. Spirit marks, Jesus marks, disciple marks. That's the only thing that's going to do it. Now for another play on words. Question marks. Questions that each of us have to wrestle with in regards to this text. The first is this. Who do I know that needs the touch of Jesus? Who is it? There's somebody in your life, a neighbor, somebody you work with, an acquaintance, maybe a relative. There's somebody in your life that needs to know the touch of Jesus. Next question. What am I willing to risk in order to share Jesus with them? You know? Am I willing to risk something? Okay, because this, this whole Jesus following thing is not easy. We might face ridicule, we might face persecution, we might face heated conversations that we don't want to be a part of. But what are we willing to risk in order to share Jesus with this person that needs the touch of Christ in their life? Who do we, both individually and corporately, who do we need to forgive? Who is the person in your life? And maybe, maybe this person is the same person in the first question. And maybe unforgiveness is keeping you from getting them in contact with Jesus. And so there's some stuff in your heart that you need to deal with, that you need to let Jesus deal with, with you. Okay? Who do we individually, as we all say, each of us has somebody we have to constantly forgive, or who do we as a church... Is there somebody, is there some people group, some whatever? Who is it we need to forgive? The ultimate answer is we need to forgive everybody we come in contact with. But who is it? And then last question. Does our religion get in the way of our words and deeds? Can't do it that way. Never been done that way before. Got to follow the rules. Or are we going to be like Jesus who was willing to risk things like being called a blasphemer and being willing to be thrown out of synagogues because He was going to heal people on the Sabbath day and you just didn't do that because you don't work on the Sabbath day. He wouldn't let His religion stand in the way of meeting people's needs. These are the questions that we have to wrestle with. And, and, and it's tough. Again, this is another week. This is another challenging week, is it not? I've been challenged by this text all week long. All of these questions that I'm asking you are questions that I've run through my mind all week. This text has punched me right in the face all week long with these very questions. But that's what God's Word should do. It should challenge us, right? It should convict us. It should call us out of our apathy. It should call us up out of the chairs and out into the world. We should be compelled by the gospel of Christ Jesus. Okay? 
Jesus left His marks by offering forgiveness and compassion. We leave our mark by being like Jesus, extending forgiveness to those who don't ask for it and showing compassion to those who may not deserve it. So go out and leave your mark.